Welcome to the Self-Fellowship Church Podcast. Here at Self-Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. South. I'm excited to be here uh, with you today. Um, how about the student worship team this morning? They did an amazing job. Uh, they've been working uh, so hard, and just even a few months ago, they started practicing and playing and just have done a great job leading us. And so it's such a joy to have them in here. It's been a joy for me to be back working with the students here at South. I got a, had the privilege of being on staff here from 2015 to 19, and I was able to come back uh, three months ago, and working with these students, an amazing team of volunteers, great group of students that brings so much joy um, to me, and to my wife, who was also up here this morning singing, which was awesome, just so thankful um, for her and, and sharing her gifts with us uh, today. We also have one little guy named Cooper. He's a year and a half now, and usually he's here running around somewhere, but this morning he's home with Grandma And so he had quite the start to his journey. And I want to start off this morning uh, just by asking you, where were you on May 31st, 2019? Maybe that was just a random day to you, if you think about it, last year. But to my wife, Hannah, and I, it was a day that changed everything for us. Uh, Hannah was 34 weeks pregnant at the time, and we had both just finished our teaching for the year, and we'd finished up our teacher work days, and so... It was that first day of summer break, and I had still had to go up to school to lead a workout that I was doing as a coach, and so Hannah was going to stay home and sleep in that morning. But she didn't really uh, feel that great. Um, She maybe thought it was something that she had ate, and so I went into work, and about 7.15, she called, and she said she wasn't feeling well. And she had called the doctor, and they say, you know, just to be cautious, you better come in. Um, It'll just be like a 20-minute appointment. You'll be fine, and you'll be able to go home. So she calls me and tells me that. She says, I think I'm going to drive myself into the hospital. And I, and I, you know, being the supportive and caring husband that I am, I said, okay, great. Um, what I should have said was, I will leave work right now, go and pick you up and drive you in. Uh, as it turns out, she was having contractions two minutes apart, driving herself to the hospital um, while I'm just off at work. Well, at 8 o'clock, she calls me and says, you know, it appears the baby's coming today. Um, And I said, you know, I'm swamped here at work. I hope everything goes well. No, I did not say that. I, I, at that time, I I got the hint. I did come in, and about 8.30, got there. We went back, and by 2 p.m., Cooper was born, six weeks early. Um, And that was a day that changed everything for our lives. Perhaps you can relate or to recall a certain day or a period of days of your life that, that changed everything. Maybe it was graduating school or getting married, having a child, uh, maybe even losing a loved one or having a job transition, moving across the country. These moments change our lives. And I think in 2020, we've all had a few days like that. Maybe it's not a certain day, but I remember the week in March when life completely changed for us. One by one, things started to shut down. And our gatherings, our schools, our sporting events, church gatherings changed overnight. It changed everything. And even as things have started to reopen, we still experience and feel those changes today. Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at an event 
and a person who has changed everything. We are continuing on in our Advent Conspiracy series. It's been a four-week series. In the first three weeks, Pastor Alex has led us through uh, the themes of worship fully, to spend well and give more. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the theme of love all. The Christmas season, even in a pandemic, can feel stressful and busy. Our hearts can feel weary and tired. I've really enjoyed this series and been challenged and encouraged to reorient our lives on what is really important in this Christmas season. Advent is a time of waiting, time of hope. It's a time of preparing our hearts for the coming Messiah. It's a reminder that even in a crazy and unsettling year, our hope is anchored in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who entered into our story to bring us the true peace and joy that we long for. And so this morning, I want to begin with the claim that Jesus changes everything. Whereas the birth of our Cooper certainly changed my wife and I's lives, and maybe those of you around us at church or the people that live next to us in our apartment when he's crying in the middle of the night, um, other than that, I don't think it maybe affected your life as much. But we all have events that, that do change our lives, and this Jesus story that we celebrate at Christmas time can truly change each and every one of our lives, both individually and collectively. And so this morning, I want to dig into this and really look at how Jesus changes and transforms us from the inside out. And so for the next two hours and 45 minutes, we're just really going to be digging in and... No, we're not. But my wife can tell you, uh, sometimes I can be pretty difficult. Uh, I'm a verbal processor. I ask a lot of questions. Um, many nights we'll be lying in bed trying to fall asleep, and I'll be talking and trying to solve life's problems for 15 or 20 minutes, only to look over to discover that she's fallen asleep. Um, my mind works that way. I question things. I can overthink things. I ask questions. Maybe you do too. And so this claim, Jesus changes everything. You walked in today and you saw in big letters uh, our church's mission statement, living in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. And we really believe that. But whether you've been coming to church for a long time, or if this is your first time coming in or tuning in online, you might be wondering, does Jesus actually change everything? Does this baby born in a manger over 2,000 years ago truly change my life? And if so, how? How does Jesus' birth and life impact our everyday lives and relationships? And I think these questions are really important for us to to dig into. And so we're going to start with, with these two questions this morning. What is the story of Jesus and who is it for? What is the story of Jesus and who is it for? Growing up, I had a pretty good understanding of the Bible, of, of certain Bible characters and stories, but I think I struggled to see how it all connected. I could tell you about David and Abraham and Noah and even Jesus, but I didn't really know how that all fit together. The Old Testament seemed to have some cool and some weird stories. And then, bam, Jesus came in the New Testament. And to me, it didn't seem all that connected. And I'm really grateful to have great family and friends and professors who have really helped me understand Scripture, and I'm still learning and growing. Um, I've come across a great website that I've shared with the students. They know I love the site, thebibleproject.com, which I highly recommend. But I began to see the Bible, to borrow their phrase, as one unified story that leads to Jesus. The Old Testament was not just a bunch of random, unconnected stories, but it was one story that was pointing and leading to the main event of Jesus Christ. 
When Jesus shows up on the scene, he's not just randomly entering the story. He's the long-awaited Messiah come to save us from our sins. And I've shared this with the students uh, over the years and, and even in a sermon a few years ago here, but I think it's so important for us to know uh, the story of Scripture. And it begins with creation all the way back in Genesis. That God creates this world and we see the original design of humanity being created in God's own image and in relationship with him. In just chapter 3, we see that corruption enters the picture as Adam and Eve sin. And yet, even in the midst of devastating consequences for sin that we all experience still today, God extends grace. In Genesis 3.15, God, in, in talking with the serpent in the garden, promises an offspring of Eve who will crush Satan's head and defeat evil much later in the story. This offspring is referring to Jesus, who would come onto the scene much later, who would die on a cross and rise again. We see this promise all the way back at the beginning of the story, and the story continues through a series of covenants or partnerships that God makes with humanity, with his people. They serve as kind of the backbone of the story of Scripture, and they show how God pursues humanity. Each of them anticipate and point forward to the coming of Christ. God promises to Noah that despite humanity's sin and evil, he will never destroy the earth again. He promises to Abraham that through his offspring, all nations of the earth would be blessed. He later rescues Israel from slavery, and he gives them the law and promises to make them his holy, set-apart nation as they were meant to represent him to all the nations. God promises David that a king would come from his lineage who would reign forever and extend God's justice for all. The covenants with Abraham, Israel, and David also had conditional elements that the people had to obey. And while God's chosen people time and time again do not fulfill their end of the deal, God remains faithful to his promises. And as the Old Testament continues and the story unfolds, Israel continues to wait with hope and longing. The prophets talked about a day when the Messiah would come. And the Old Testament ends, and he had not come. And so they waited. 400 years passed. Maybe God has forgotten his promises. And then onto the scene comes Jesus Christ, that God is faithful, that we celebrate at Christmas his birth and his coming into humanity, the God of the universe out of his deep love for us enters into our story, bringing hope. The Messiah comes into our mess, Emmanuel, God with us, this baby, fully God and fully man, born in a humble manger, he grows up. He doesn't stay in that manger. He grows as a carpenter. He begins his public ministry, healing the sick and teaching with authority, living a perfect life, spending time with the poor and outcasts, elevating those who are humble. He fulfills each of the covenants. He's from the family of Abraham who has come to bless the whole world. He's the perfect Israelite who fully obeys the law. And he is in the line of David, the king who extends God's kingdom of justice and peace to all and will reign forever. And this king is killed on a cross, the savior of the world dying for sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Out of his deep love, he dies on a cross. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But he doesn't stay in the tomb. Jesus rises from the dead on the third day, conquering death and giving us hope. Through faith in him, we can be in a relationship with God. And his resurrection that we celebrate at Easter time. He later ascends into heaven, sending the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us in our lives. 
and the church is established. And much of the New Testament is letters written to these churches and individuals showing them and us how to live on mission as his disciples, living in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. All the while we wait with hope and longing once again because Jesus is going to come back, finally and fully defeating evil once for all. And those who trust in Jesus will spend eternity with God in the new heavens and the new earth where there will be no more pain or suffering. And this is the culmination of God's perfect plan. This is great news. This is the Christmas story. It doesn't end in a manger. It's the story of creation to the cross, to the culmination of God's plan in the future. And this is our hope. And the question remains then, well, who is this story for? If you'll turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 2. We're going to dig in together. Luke chapter 2. Throughout this series, we've looked at part of this wonderful story, this wonderful chapter, the story of Jesus' birth. Jesus is born, and the angels say to the shepherds in Luke 2, verses 10 and 11, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause you great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Great joy for all people. This story continues as Jesus, a little bit later on, is presented in the temple. And so if you'll turn with me to Luke 2, verses 22 through 24. Here's what we read. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to, to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. These three verses are strategic by Luke as he specifically mentions the law and shows that Jesus obeys and fulfills the law of Moses. But then he'll continue on to show how Jesus' life is important for both Jews and the Gentiles, for all people. Let's continue reading in verses 25 through 28. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying... And now, but before we get into Simeon's words, we need to introduce this character named Simeon. We don't know a lot about him, but we see that he is righteous and devout. The Holy Spirit is on him as he waits with anticipation for God to come and rescue Israel. He was told that he would not die before seeing the Messiah. The Spirit guides him into the temple, and after years and years of waiting, he gets to hold the Savior of the world in his arms. Can you imagine what he must have been feeling and experiencing? And then he says these words, verses 29 through 32. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for, Gentile to the, light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Salvation has been prepared in the sight of all nations for all people, to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and to the people of Israel. 
God's love is expansive. It's not limited to one people group or one geographical area, but it's for all people. And we all have a need for a Savior, have a need for grace. Before closing, Simeon offers some closing comments of the divided response that Jesus would experience in his life. Verses 33 through 35, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, the child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon mentions the falling and rising of many in Israel. And the reality is that some will reject Jesus while Others would accept him and his good news of salvation. Some would oppose him, and this would eventually lead him to die on a cross, and that would lead to sorrow for Mary. Not all will respond in faith to Jesus' free gift of love and grace. And this brings us back to our, our questions for today. What is the story of Jesus, and who is it for? The story of Jesus is the good news of the long-awaited Messiah entering into our story bringing hope and the free offer of salvation to all, made available by faith. The story of Scripture is the story of God's deep love for us that can change everything about us. And in our time remaining, I want us to see very practically how Jesus changes everything about us. No matter how you came in today, tired or weary, overwhelmed, relieved, excited, anything in between, I believe that Jesus can change our lives and speak hope and life into all areas of our lives. And so first, we see that Jesus changes everything by transforming our stories. We all enter today with a story. We're all unique. It's one of the reasons I love working with students, to partner with them on their story, on their journey, and point them to Jesus. We long for our stories to matter, to have importance. And yet, I think we all wonder at times if our stories are all that important. We might be stuck in the mundane or the ordinary routine of life, doing the same thing over and over and wondering if it makes any difference. We might have walked in today having felt shame and sadness about something in our past. Maybe this year brought a job transition or a loss of a loved one. Maybe we feel hopeless or scared about what is to come. Maybe we feel like God could never use us or never work through us. And yet, God can transform our stories. I'd love for you to, to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, the first chapter in the New Testament. And perhaps if you come there, you will see what appears on the surface to be the most boring chapter of the Bible. A genealogy, a list of names. So-and-so, the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, and on and on and on. I remember reading that growing up, being like, wow, this is boring. <laughs> um, but in reality, this is one of the most incredible chapters in the whole Bible. Take a moment and glance over some of those names. This is Jesus' geneal genealogy, his lineage. As you look through this list, we see some names that we recognize, Abraham and David. We might assume that his lineage is only full of important and well-known people, people that have their lives all figured out and who are famous. And yet, that's not what we find at all. Glance through this list with me and just a few of these names. Abraham, a man of great faith, certainly. Yet a man who doubted at times and, and lied by saying his wife was his sister on two occasions. 
Judah, Joseph's brother, who suggested that they sell their brother into slavery. Rahab, a Gentile, a former prostitute, who acted courageously and was welcomed into God's family. Ruth, a former widow. David, a man after God's own heart, and yet a man who committed deep sin. And we could go on and on. These people are all part of God's story, part of his family. They're the family lineage of Jesus Christ. And these stories are wide-ranging and far across the spectrum. And yet, God transforms all of them. And here is what we see through this. That God works through imperfect and ordinary people to accomplish his perfect and extraordinary plan. And I don't know about you, but that's wonderful news to me. The Christmas story is a reminder that God can transform our stories and invite us into his wonderful story. That we get to join with him in spreading hope and love to others. I love this quote from pastor and author Rich Velotis. And he says this, I'm deeply grateful that scripture isn't a collection of sanitized stories for holy people, of holy people. It's rather a collection of stories of ordinary, broken people loved by God and made holy through a righteousness outside of themselves. That's great news. Broken, ordinary people that God loves deeply and uses powerfully. Secondly, that we see that Jesus changes everything by transforming our identities. I believe we're in a time where one of the most pressing questions is, who are we? The question of identity, it's so important for both students and adults alike. It's very easy to define ourselves by what we do or what we have done. Our jobs, our career, our income, our athletic ability, our grades, our achievements. And yet, none of these things can truly define who we are at our core. Perhaps for you, 2020 rattled your identity a bit. Things that we thought were so sure, our job, our health, our income, have been altered. In a year that brought a lot of change, we can cling to the fact that we have our true identity in Jesus Christ. As we read in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. By faith, we are made new in Jesus. We are part of his family. We are God's workmanship, heirs of God, members of the body of Christ, God's children. This is what is true about us. Even when we get tempted to believe lies about who we are, we can always rest in what is most true about us. In Jesus, we find our true identity. Throughout his ministry, Jesus consistently transformed identities. I think of the disciples, people from a variety of backgrounds and situations and professions, fishermen, a tax collector, and he transformed them to be his disciples, his followers. I think of Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well in John 4, towards the beginning of his public ministry. In this encounter, she went from someone who was ashamed and rejected by others, a woman who had had five husbands and now was living with a man who was not her husband, to a woman who had met Jesus. She leaves this encounter running into town, telling people about Jesus. And he can transform our identity too. Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't just change us individually, but collectively as well. We now belong to one another in the body of Christ. 1 Peter 2 says we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, 
that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We're not designed to do life alone, but instead together with each other. And while this pandemic has caused us to have to navigate new guidelines and restrictions and limitations, let us press into doing life together. We might have to get creative with a phone call or a Zoom, but we need each other as we live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus, as Jesus unites us together across our differences. The last thing, that Jesus changes everything. He transforms our stories, our identities, and lastly, our hearts. Throughout the story of Scripture, we see the deep love of God for us. He's faithful to his promises, and he pursues us relentlessly. The Christmas story is evidence of that love, Jesus entering into our story. As Paul writes so powerfully in Romans 8, 38 through 39, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in all creation can separate us from his love. Not a pandemic, not a sickness, loss of a loved one, a hard year, nothing. In him, we find the love that we so desperately need and long for. In him, we are fully known and fully loved. And it is from this place of being loved that we extend love to others. Today, we're in week four of the Advent Conspiracy series, and the theme is to love all. We're invited to use the gifts and the resources that God has given us to love others, worship fully, spend well, give more, and love all. I wanted to spend the majority of the message today just talking about what Jesus has done for us, that he truly does change everything, our stories, our identities, our hearts. And the Christmas story is not just about some baby in some manger a couple thousand years ago. The story is for all people and brings the true hope, peace, love, and joy that we crave and need. In his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus is inviting us into his family. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 are two of my favorite verses uh, in all of Scripture, and I think they tie this whole theme together well of today and for this series. Paul writes this, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I love how Paul writes exactly who we are, dearly loved children. And as dearly loved children, then he offers the command to walk in the way of love. And that's how we're called to live. And this Christmas, we're invited into an opportunity to love those around us. As Pastor Amy mentioned in the kids' moment, to love those who are different from us, to love those who may be hard to love, to love those in our immediate family, those close to us, our friends and relatives. It might be a little different this year, but we are called to love as Jesus loved, sacrificially and generously. One of my favorite authors is Bob Goff. I love his books, Love Does, and Everybody Always, and he puts it this way. Jesus talked to his friends a lot about how we should identify ourselves. He said it wouldn't be what we said we believed or all the good we hoped to do someday. Nope. He said we would identify ourselves simply by how we loved people. It's tempting to think there's more to it, but there's not. 
Love isn't something we fall into. Love is someone we become. I love that quote. We were called to love those around us with everything that we have, using the gifts and the time and the resources that we have to encourage, to bring hope in this Christmas season. I'll throw in one more quote because I like him a lot. But he says this, Don't save up love like you're trying to retire on it. Give it away like you're made of it. And that's my challenge to each of us today. I don't know what that looks like exactly for you, and we have to be smart and considerate in this season with the pandemic, but it starts in our home, in our family, with our roommates, spread to our communities, our neighborhoods, our schools, our city, our state, and beyond. As 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us, and that changes everything. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you each, for each person who could be here and joining in online. I pray, Lord, that you would wrap us in your arms, that we would experience your love, that this Christmas season and what has been a hard and trying year, I pray that each and every one of us would feel and experience your love, and we would spread that love with boldness and generosity to those around us. We thank you for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. If God is working in your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give online at southfellowship.org give or on the South Fellowship Church app. Thanks for listening, South Family. Have a great rest of your day.